It's Sunday, June 20th, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. PNP is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, the foreign substances purge begins on Monday. At what point will Major League Baseball appear they know what they're doing? Garrett Cole wants baseball to talk to us, while Joe Poznanski takes the long-term view. Vladimir Guerrero and Fernando Tatis can do something that no one else has ever done, and Shohei Otani will anchor the only home run derby that I may actually watch. We'll talk about the Cubs and the Sox, and our popcorn discussion is on the John Ford, John Wayne classic, The Searchers. How are you, Tom? I'm doing pretty well today. Happy Father's Day to you, by the way. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, I have three children, and I'm I'm one of the very proud of all three of them. Being a father to them has been one of the greatest experiences of my life. So, and I'm going to. But be- with that being said, because you know, again, I grew up in a large household of many kids, and I always felt like my father kind of got a little gypped on Father's Day. Like, like for example, Mother's Day. You know, it was basically many times for her breakfast in bed and all these extravagant things that my father would do. He basically would get like, you know, cologne he would never use. A Led Zeppelin album I would give him knowing I would inherit it in two months. Um, And so is it the same as your house? Like, like, do you you feel like kind of, does the father get gypped and the mother just kind of gets heaped to all these, these, these things? No, no, I get I get treated pretty well. My brother-in-law is going to have uh, have us all over today, so <laughs> so that'll be nice. And and I got to play pool on Friday, you know. And, <laughs> and that's and, that's a nice Father's Day gift. Yeah, just to be able to get away for. I mean, I played right. for five hours. You nice. know what I mean. So you know, but 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 I'm gonna you know I played pickleball yesterday. I'm I'm doing dad things. Right. Know, but the job of a dad continues, even though you, even though it is Father's Day weekend, you still got to be a father, you know. Right, for sure, for sure. So, and it's great. I mean, I'm just, I'm just proud to to be able to call myself a father, and uh, you know, I'll be paying respects to mine as well today. I'll be calling him, you know. Good, good, good. I wish I could speak to my father. My father's no longer with us, but I always kind of felt like he got gypped on Father's Day. He would never, yeah. like, he didn't get the pre- like the gifts that my mother would get. I mean, in, in your house with all those kids, I would just imagine 24 hours away from you would be, you know what I mean? Like, like, like he, he, he never, he never figured forward. that out. I would have figured that out. I did figure that out. I told them many times I'm going to move very far away from you people. And I did ultimately. Uh, but no, he, he, the one thing to his credit, he was a great man, but he never did not come home. No. And he had every reason to, <laughs> but he never did did not do it. He did the right thing every day. But just to, just to get, you know, just to get away for, for a little while from what I can imagine was a noisy, noisy house. Yeah. Yeah. And he was not permitted to do that. He never, if you're asking him if he got like a a luncheon key or a a basket, no, no, he he got none of that. That's too bad. That's too bad. Well, you know, I just wanted to really quickly mention also in pickleball the other day, you know, this is a big thing with me now. I've kind of been, been bitten by the bug hard. And I want my wife to do it because yeah. I want this to be something we can do as a couple. And my wife is fairly athletic and coordinated. It's something I know she would enjoy if she would just kind of give it a chance. So I got her to come hey, out. Hey, here, here's the tagline you use. There's no subtitles and it's in color. 
That's right. That's right. That's how I can get her in. But, but, but so what I did, you know, so I'm just trying to be real low key. I don't want to be too, you know, even though I'm really champing at the bit to play, I don't want to make a, you know, winning too much of a thing, but she came out and played with, with me and some neighbors and we're playing a game and we went back to serve. It's eight to six. We're winning and it's her serve. And we're walking back to the line and she's bouncing the ball and she looks at me and she says, okay, let's close this out. <laughs> and I'm like, she's hooked. Yeah. She is hooked. Well, that's good that she's competitive like that. I, so can your kids play so that you could practice a little oh, bit or yeah. no? Well, I mean, anybody, anybody can play pickleball. I mean, you literally, it is the easiest game to learn how to play. And all you want to, if you want to get good at it, all you got to do is continue, you know? So, yeah. uh, so yeah, they play a little bit. Days. My, my daughter, my youngest plays tennis. So, this will be a good sport for her too, just long-term for anybody. It's really good for your body. It's good. Keeps you in shape, cardio. It's all those stuff. Kind of got a goofy name. Maybe uh, uh, the marketing could have done a little bit better name because I think some people are like pickleball. Whoa, what's that? What, what yeah, are you doing? I know. I know. It's not, yeah. I, I, I texted a woman I work with and I said, I invited her and I invited and she, her. And, she, and she's like, that's inappropriate. This is yeah. going to HR. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She said, you and your husband should come here to play pickleball. Hey, we're not into that. In fact, that's not a euphemism for anything. You know, I'm stuck on you. I've got this feeling down deep in my soul that I just can't lose. Guess I'm on my way. But let's open the bag of peanuts. Nice and hot and salty. And we're going to begin with uh, Major League Baseball has issued an edict. This is sort of what it might might have been in Europe with the with the Nicene sort of, you know, uh, meetings and, and that the Vatican would do. Uh, there's been an edict issued that uh, foreign substances on the baseball as used by pitchers will no longer be allowed. There will be random checks, 10 game suspensions. If anyone is caught using a foreign substance, additionally, the team loses the roster spot for those 10 games. And, you know, Major League Baseball had a great idea that right in the middle of the season would be the perfect time to implement these changes. It's the you know, dumbest thing. I mean, it's, it, first of all, didn't they say they were doing this at the beginning of the season? They didn't say they were doing so, this. So we mean it this time. You, you know, come on. It, it, it's it's it's. The pitchers are right. So this is a complicated situation. We've already covered off on it. We'll cover off on it again. Sticky situation here. The bottom line is, is that it needs to be done. Why did they wait in the middle of the season yeah. to do it? That's a stupid and it, it's ridiculous, but it's the right thing to do. However, I do one little thing they should have adjusted. The pitchers should be suspended without pay not with pay that that's that's them making a nod to the players union which is yeah, that's yeah. not the right thing because that's the wrong message well wait a minute if i want 10 days off all i gotta do is put grease on the ball right you know right. what i, I like it just that's yeah. just rings false something yeah, you're right you're right and and, and, and they shouldn't be paid that that's, that's just making me mental it's it's that but i do think this is a step in the right direction and i also think the pitchers are right i mean in in this yeah, particular yeah, case both how, sides have have important points you're right this you and i as fans want to see these substances taken out of the game i think but on the other hand 
you know, uh, they need to have a ball that they can grip. And, and my question is, is there a difference between grip and tack and stick? Yeah. Grip versus stick, something that is, I wouldn't say wet, but something that really causes well, your fingers to stick more to the baseball versus something that allows you to grip them dry, you know, with your fingers better. But it's both the same, though, in the sense that the stick helps you with the grip. So, so yeah. you need, you need part of it. What I, we, you know, three or four weeks ago, I think I proposed that baseball should say these things are allowed. Yeah. And, and once the fresh clean baseballs enter a specific zone of the, of the ballpark or of, in the clubhouse, wherever they're getting rubbed down um, that these things you can use, but these other things you cannot use. And so once that's agreed upon, let them use a little pine tar. Maybe it's a, it's an X percentage of pine tar. It's something beyond the Louisville mud that they put on there, because obviously that's not enough, which I'll make you the case. Well, when was it enough for the guys before 1960 when you guys started doing this stuff? It was okay back then. I don't think players were getting hit anymore. A guy did die, unfortunately, by being hit. But I'm not so sure that had so much to do with grip as it did with something else, potentially. I'm not accusing anybody of murder, but I'm just saying that I think, you know, ultimately you have um, a half cocked rule that's being half applied. And so it will be interesting to see because, again, they have to check the starting pitchers once a game. If you read the rules, they have to check – or don't, twice a game. And then the relievers once once a game. I don't know how they're doing this, but I hope to God they're doing it during the commercial breaks. That, yeah, they, they should, it's going right? to make it a tedious – I mean, it's going to make for a tedious watch because a lot of that stuff is going to spill over into the – you know, after the – after the TV timeouts and stuff. So that's really, it. it I, I don't know what's gonna happen. And I think that they need to get smart about this and start thinking about this long-term. And, you know, Joe Pisnanski had a piece where he is sort of like, well, you know, what can we do about it? We have to kind of take a long-term approach. I mean, pitchers need to be able to grip the ball. Yeah. And, 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 but they, but hitters need pitchers to be able to, uh, to, to not use foreign substances right. that increases you know, these the are spin, the spin rates. Correct. You know what I mean, what I think they ought to do, and, and this is just a suggestion is maybe raise the seams a little bit and have a slightly bigger ball. I remember seeing Pedro Martinez talking during a playoff game about the ball and he was holding one up and he talked about how he used to throw his change up and how he could get two fingers between the narrow part where the seams come together. Okay. Mm -hmm. On a ball there with still some room to spare. Yeah. You could put them together like that. Yeah, couldn't do that now on a on a current baseball. So yeah, that, that, teams would would that would be good. They, they have to look at that. They have to. There's a couple of things. So one of the things that I thought was interesting in one of the many articles that we read this week, I can't remember which one, where they talk about the fact that since this was announced, that kind of a couple of weeks ago, where they're like, we're going to start to to enforce this. Pitchers immediately stopped using it yeah. and the spin rates immediately went down considerably. And guess what? Pitchers started getting hit. Hitters started hitting, which has been a problem. Baseball's addressing this, not just because of people getting hit or advanced. It's about the, the offensive problem in baseball and what they're going to do about it. This is part and parcel of it. The other thing that's part and parcel of it, we've already talked about this, is the shift. They need to get rid of the shift or say you can only use it once a game because that's contributing to this as well. And like you said, it severely harms left-handed hitters. Yes, and, yes, and, yes. But, but I think that this is a very complicated thing that's all under the lack of offense 
of theme of this of this season. And I think baseball, to a certain degree, has made a knee-jerk reaction. It's all good. 20 years from now, it won't matter at all. But I understand why pitch, why it's got the ire of the pitchers today, because it would get mine, too. It's like, first of all, tell us what you want. Enough, yeah. enough. You're sending mixed messages. Pitchers need some tools out there, something. You know, something that sort of gives them uh, the ability to, to, to put the ball where they need to put it. And I think that that's really what this speaks to, because there is an issue of safety. Yes. And if a pitcher can put, you know, it, it, I mean, pitchers are pitching high, higher in the zone. Yeah. You know, and if those balls get away because they're too slippery and somebody gets hurt, you know, we've already seen people get hurt this year yeah, yeah. badly. But but people and, got but hurt. Guys, people have been getting hurt with the with the stuff on the balls. That's yeah. my, like I think that's honestly I don't think that's a factor in this. And only because long before they had anything besides rosin, people were still getting hit. Balls get away from pitchers. It doesn't matter, even with a good grip. I. I I just think it's beyond that. It's it's for the right of the game. It's the right thing to do morally. So I'm always for that because um, it's cheating. Let's not kid ourselves. And it's interesting to me that the three starters on the Boston Red Sox, yeah, again, are managed by whom? <laughs> and their pitching since this was announced, their ERAs have gone through the flipping yeah. roof yeah. since they, then. So up that's right something something doesn't smell right here in denmark is all i'm saying i i i think that that you know that baseball needs to do the right thing and 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 cole is right they should have talked to the pitcher they should have and, talked. and 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 you know and, and but, but when tyler glasnow now says the reason why he had an injury it's because they make these changes. Yeah, yeah, poppycock is what I say to that. Wow. Come on, Tyler, that's just sour grapes. I mean, the bottom line is you've been pitching like that for like two years now. You were not, you, by the way, you weren't a great pitcher until you, till about a year and a half ago. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but the reality is, is, is the same. And so, um, but Cole is right. Garrett Cole, I completely support. They, they should have gotten the greatest pitchers in the game on a, on a Zoom conference. Yeah. That's what they should have done. Yeah. I talked about what, what really is going on out there, you know, especially because, and, and you know what I wanted to ask too, because this is not an issue in Korea. It's not an issue in Japan. No, that right. you're able to produce balls that yep, are more warm yep. and have a tackier, more grippable surface. Yeah. So what are they doing? Are, they, are people asking that question? I did searches on that specific topic. I couldn't yeah. find anything. You know what I mean? But this well, is supposed to be the case. You've heard that, haven't you? I, I have. And, and and there's another thing before we forget to, to mention. I, that, that is an interesting, I think everything's on the table for baseball to try to go figure out what is the solution. Stop yeah. the cheating, find something that works on baseball that's uniform for all pitchers. I don't care. I don't care if you use that hard tack or whatever the hell that Whatever it is, but make it uniform and say, hey, you can use 1% of this uh, in a mixture with just regular rosin or whatever. Put it in a jar or on the mound. Put it on Funkin' Wagon's front porch till three o'clock tomorrow (laughs) afternoon. Uh, It doesn't matter, but they have to do something because I'm a big fan of true life crime and I read a lot of stuff and I watch a lot of stuff. And it's not unusual in an early investigation, especially in a murder case, where the murderer will actually try to contact the police and help them with the investigation, even though it's him that's the actual killer. I speak, of course, of Trevor Bauer, because Trevor Bauer 
is been a gigantic outspoken, not a critic, but a, someone that's identified these, um, uh, these types of uh, adhesives. And is it possible that he's one of the worst offenders of this? Because his spin rate has changed dramatically in the last two weeks. Dramatically, they went through some of his starts and, and his, his splits. I was like, holy shit. This is the guy that's on Twitter talking about how bad this is. That's what it reminds me of, is a murderer that wants to help the, the detective solve the case. That's yeah. what this reminds me of. He, he, he possibly has been cheating the most. Um, right. And he did bring it out. And, and I think that's kind of overall what his intention is, to sort of bring, uh, to make people aware of what's going on. You know what I mean? In his own sort of way. And he's a, he's a strange guy. Did you he really that? is. Did you read that bit where he trolled this woman who trolled him? Yeah, of course. Of you know, course. And he was twittering her and tagging her again and again. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, hey, you got to leave me alone, dude. Right. Exactly. And that's yeah. the thing about Twitter, too. Like some Trevor, grow a thick skin. Move along. First of all, you know what most celebrities do? doesn't matter what you say to them. They're never going to respond to you. Never. I've seen it time and time again, because that's the right way to do it. I mean, you just don't, somebody, people, this is America. I remember what this great author was get, getting faded by the society. We're giving you this award that you're the greatest. And, and he was like, that's your opinion. <laughs> that's the way you took it. Like he, anybody can say anything in this country. You know, it's it, the thing about uh, Trevor Bauer on Twitter is he's really shrill. Yes, you know, yes, yes. It, 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 you know, and he's got to tone that down. Some but of his stuff is right on point, but I think he can't be petty and you can't go at people. People are going to look, if you're fat, you're going to get called fat. That's the way society works. I, I don't know what to tell you. He did have one when he supported uh, your mean Mercedes for hitting uh, that three and O pitch for a home yeah, run. Right. So, you know, again, and that's how human behavior is. He's I mean, an intelligent guy. I never said he wasn't. He's an yeah, intelligent yeah, pitcher. Yeah. That's why but he's on Twitter. Us, he's, all he's, of us have good sides and bad sides, but right. on social media, the world is going to see those bad sides. Correct, correct. You know, so um, now, there, now Jason Stark had a great column again, as he does in the Athletic every week. Yeah. Weird and wild, he puts yeah. this out. It's a great article. Nine days, more or less, this comes out. And if you read the Athletic, it's a long, long article. Right. Exactly. We prepare to have but, you. That's a fifteen-minute read. When I got done, your subscription had elapsed. <laughs> But but he loves to point out all these things in baseball because he has a, you know, because we have access to it's the digital age and all of these statistics are codified. You can do searches and find things out. And and more and more we're experiencing things that have never happened in the history of baseball. And we have the perspective to sort of notice that that's going on. But there was a big one this year where two teams, the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Baltimore Orioles, had the, had respective pitchers pitch no hitters. Yeah. John Means for the Orioles, and then it was Madison Bumgarner had a seven-inning no hitter. Not a no hitter, but anyways, not a no hitter. As you not well no know hitter. better than anybody, you were you actually sat at the no hitter that was not a no hitter that changed the rules on no hitters. But he didn't allow any hits. So both pitchers in, in, <laughs> in, in games on the road do not allow a hit, right. and then their teams go on massive road losing streaks. I think it's 19 for uh, for the Diamondbacks, and I think it's 23 for the no, Orioles. No, 23 for – you got it reversed. Arizona, and um, 
the one thing that's in common here in this whole thing is that um, they're both terrible teams, basically. And no, Arizona lost again last night. So that streak yep. continues. So um, that's the one thing. First of all, Baumgartner didn't throw a no hitter, but, right, but, but it underscores just how bad Arizona is. And so when I did my weekly check of the standings, the extended standings, the team batting averages and the, and the, and the ERAs for pitching, there's a reason why Arizona is not winning. They're at the bottom of those categories. Same with Baltimore. Baltimore yeah. has John Means. So there's promise in Baltimore, just like there is in Detroit, uh, just like there is in a couple of uh, places. Uh, Oakland is another place where they, you know, they, they've got a decent future because they, they're um, assembling this, these great young players. It's not the case in Arizona or even Colorado. Some of these bottom feeder teams – are, they're terrible. And that, that's the reason why they lose 23 in a row. It's not because one guy threw a no hitter. I mean, I think it's a, that's part of what Jason Stark is trying to also underscore here is that these are like statistical anomalies that, uh, oh, by the way, and the other reason what I wanted to say is you preface this piece on Stark is that one of the things that helps Stark is that there's a million people on the internet doing his research for him. That well, are, they yeah. send him little twi tweets. Hey, Jason, did you know about this? Check this out. And he goes down the statistical ra a rab rabbit hole that ends up this great column that has all these things in it. And, uh, and people do send him stuff, and that causes him to do research. And he, he poses questions for research to Stats Incorporated or whatever, though, you know, these statistical institutions that exist to sort of do research and maintain this stuff. But, uh, but it was really cool. And, 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 you know, another thing he pointed out too was, um, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And Fernando yeah. Tatis Jr. Yeah. 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 Uh, maybe the only players to lead their respective league in home runs as former, as, as the sons of former major leaguers, which was amazing. That had never happened before. And that bonds and Griffey had come close, yeah. but, uh, but these two may actually <laughs> happen. That's never happened before. I've seen a lot of baseball this year, and I've seen these players, both of these players, um, hit. And first of all, special kudos to Guerrero, who lost, who lost about thirty pounds in the off season. Still could lose another fifteen if you ask me. But he, I'm never going to say he's going to be, be better than his father because his father was one of my favorite baseball players of all time. It was a joy to watch him. You threw the ball at his feet, he would golf it for a home run. You threw it at his helmet, and he would hit a towering home run off of it. You could not, and he was a phenomenal defender. Time will tell if Vladdy Jr. will be better than his father. I tend not to think so. His father's a Hall of Famer. But Tatis Jr., may be already better than his father. If oh, Tatis yeah. was a great player who's, yeah. who accomplished many things. And in fact, the son still has a few years to go to, to beat him, but I think he'll easily beat him. First oh, of all, he's got a much better body, um, even though he may be injury prone. Jury's still out on that. I think it's a joy to see him, Bichette. Um, who's the other one? Uh, is it Biggio? Kevin Biggio, who is, um, you know – it's it's just great, and and in the case of those Blue Jays, they've got three former major leaguers on the same team, so it's kind of kind of interesting to see how that plays out. But of those players, Guerrero may be the best of them, even better yeah. than Tatis, and that's saying something. And you know why he's lost so much weight? Pickleball. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now have you heard that Shohei Otani will be in the home run derby? Yeah, because he put it out there. 
He yeah. basically came out and said, hey, I want to do that. Which, oh. by the way, Otani is, is an absolute joy. He He's the best thing to happen to baseball since Mike Trout. It's amazing they're basically on the same team, but for different reasons. Otani gives you hope. Trout's kind of a very stoic character. You don't really know what's going on in there. Whereas Otani, there's a little kid inside of this, by the way, if you haven't, like, people are like, hey, why is he doing all this? I'm like, well, take a look at the guy. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a beast. He's very tall. He's pretty well built, built for his age. He's not overweight. It's just kind of naturally country strong, as we would say. And he will become the first player ever in the home run derby that has a pitching win that season. And yeah. more than one pitching win, and his last outing was was incredible. So I don't, I don't you know, run out of superlatives for Otani. I really am. It's a, he's a joy to watch. And when he's on, I stop everything to watch him. Can you imagine if he had decided to sign with the Cubs? You know, because the Cubs made a bid for him, remember? Yeah. Yeah. They made a bid for him. They wanted to bring him here. And and I think that he probably may have made a mistake in, in choosing the Angels as the place he wanted to play. If he had come to Chicago, <laughs> yeah, right, it would have been unbelievable. Yeah, right. I think I think it, it, to his credit, the Asian players typically stay on the West Coast where they have a huge fan following, and I get it. They are either going to play for for Oakland, Seattle, you know, San Fran, those those teams. Oh, no, and, and 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 I get it. It is part of the Pacific Rim. More of their community is going to be there for them, but it's not like there aren't. Japanese people in Chicago, you know, no, I mean? no doubt, no and doubt. Hugh Darvish loved it here. He loved correct, it. and we loved, loved him. It. And we, by the way, the Cubs desperately miss you, Darvish, today as we speak. So, but one last thing about Otani, because when Otani came out and said, "Hey, I want to be in the home run derby," it made me think of in the fifties and the early sixties. I think it was NBC used to have a TV show called the home run derby where it would be two hitters against each other in a right. nine inning home run derby game. They were phenomenal. So I have this dream in my head. I would love to see Otani against Babe Ruth. Only they pitched to each other. Oh, <laughs> that would be great. Wouldn't that be great? Because Ruth was a great pitcher and he would have, you know, in his early days, I think he would have given Otani some trouble. Um, I oh, think he was actually a handed and so is the bait. Correct. Correct. So correct. he has that advantage. Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. And, and, but so does Ruth it's that's reversed as well, you know, right. So it, it works both ways. Well, the thing is when Otani has, when Otani announced that he'll do the home run derby, this is going to be the first one I've watched. I'll watch in years. I haven't watched this thing in, in maybe seven or eight, maybe even 10 years. It is I, the least I, interesting thing. This year, I'll watch it. I can't commit to it because, again, that's going to be part of our break, our two our two week break as a show. I might be on a boat somewhere, but I, but but the fact is, um, I will see the highlights of it, and I agree with what Joe Madden said. You know, there needs they need to tighten up the time limit so it's not so exhausting on these hitters that they're batting sixty five balls and then you know and the, i forget who the hitter was two or three years ago he's never been the same since he yeah, won the yeah, home run derby yeah the, so the whole, please do not hurt our yeah. to be the michael jordan of our sport is otani do not hurt him baseball needs otani to be in ship shop shape and uh so you know yeah do the right thing yeah that's right all right so so, uh, so before we move on to the regular baseball i just wanted to there was an article that was uh, actually written a couple of weeks ago by Deadspin where they talk about this um, newspaper that was called The National. Do you remember The National? What do you remember about it? 
I read the national when the national was out and this had to be what the nineties. It was, it, 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 it's tombstone reads from 1990 to 1991. <laughs> and I remember I would, I was working downtown yeah. and I would take public transportation down there and I would always pick, I'd love to read. Me I'd too. buy the Sun times and buy the tribune. And if I could, if I had a, if I had 75 cents, I'd get the national as well. And uh, I loved reading it. I loved reading their articles. I loved their take on local Chicago things and yeah. also the national perspective, yeah. but it, it, it just, it was there. It was here today and gone tomorrow. I bought the first issue. I have the first issue. I still have it somewhere. Even though if my wife ever finds it, she'll throw it out. Uh, but the fact is, um, and I read it every, the point, it was right next to where I came off the L to go yeah. to my job. So every day I bought it and, and, and read it. I love Frank DeFord. I thought he, you know, as a writer, um, I was very sympathetic to his situation. I can't remember. I think he had, he lost a daughter uh, very young and that kind of tinged his writing for the rest of his career. But he was a great, great wordsmith who, who wrote with passion and integrity. Um, and like you said, it only kind of came out on the West Coast in LA, um, in Chicago and in New York. So that was part of the problem. It, it, they changed the price from 50 cents to 75 cents and lost a lot of readers. And, and basically- the Because they didn't have that extra quarter in their pocket. Exactly. And DeFord talked about that. He goes, that was a stupid, stupid thing to do because that killed our readership. Um, but the reason why I include, included that article is because um, earlier this week, um, the Chicago Tribune, the new owners of the Chicago Tribune, um, came in and did a huge buyout of their veteran reporters. And so yeah. in the course of three days, I saw three uh, with John Cass and Heidi Schmidt being the, the two most prominent ones come up with their final articles. So um, John Cash took the buyout? Oh, yeah. They're, they're, he's gone. He took the buyout. He's gone. He's I knew Eric Zorn took the buyout. Yeah, yeah. And Mary Smith did it too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So... I was crushed by this. And it's not that I, first of all, I don't like Eric Zorn at all. You, Eric Zorn's on my shit list. I don't read him anymore. And, I, and John Cass has been a gas bag over time about some things. However, it's the message that these new owners are sending to a dying business. So it, it's, I, I subscribe to the New York Times. As you know, I send you articles because you, you have to pay for it and it's expensive. I split the cost with my brother in Detroit. So, and because of how expensive it is, but that is the greatest newspaper, day-to-day -day newspaper over the last 20 years. Washington Post will put up a fight. Some other ones, some smaller towns will put up a fight. But this is a bell ringer for me of, of the future of newspapers in the United States. And I'm crushed by it. Not that these were great writers, not that they were my favorites, but of the message that it sends, that the newspaper that used to go black in your fingers when you would hold it in your hands, a That's physical gone. thing every day. I grew, I grew up in a family where we devoured the newspaper every single day. It's just, it's, it's, di it's dying so bad that it crushes me. You know, when I think of the, I, I know I'm an old guy now at this point, but when I think of the 20th century, it becomes more fonder to me by the day. And even though we didn't have phones and we didn't have some of these things, we had other things that we don't have today. Yeah. And that's what killed me about the national. The national died and a lot of newspapers died after that. Yeah, it, it really all because with the death of the of the of the national kind of the digital age sort of begins. Correct. The death of these sort of publications, you know, in the Sun-Times 
hangs on by their fingernails. Right. By 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 their by their yellow journalists. It hangs on by I their yellow. <laughs> I know. Just kidding. Just kidding. That is. That sometimes is. regrets that error of saying that. I I apologize. You know that what you mentioned too about uh, the death of the Tribune is that my boss still subscribes to the paper version of the Tribune. That's the only reason why I subscribe to the Tribune is my father-in-law is in a assisted living place and he gets a Sunday print edition every week. And for that, I get to have the online version, which I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's going to be hard and, and Chicago needs newspapers. They need, moreover, Chicago needs journalists and what journalists are going to have to figure out and they have yet to do it to, to any extent that I've seen, is they have to figure out how to deliver what it is they do to a public that desperately needs it, you know, in a way that they can earn a living while they do it. Yeah. And, uh, right, that, right. That, you, know, you know what it reminds me of? School teachers. These school teachers and newspaper writers are very similar in, in, the, in what they contribute to society, and they should be compensated. We, we were talking about that too, like uh, this one woman, a friend of mine, we were talking about how just how they expect it all to be done digitally. Mm -hmm. and that we're sort of as a profession being sort of moved aside. Yeah. But I will say that one thing the pandemic did for my profession is that it demonstrated just exactly how necessary we are. Oh, yeah. Oh, and honestly, Leo, that was evident like the first day you had a child sit in front of a TV screen. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. <laughs> Exactly. All right. So let's talk about what happened this week with the Chicago Cubs. And we're going to begin with the ESPN broadcast of last Sunday's game. So, so before you start that, what do you think of the ESPN broadcast team, Leo? Oh, I, I don't <laughs> like them at all. I, I know it's Father's Day. I'm not trying to give you agita. But... No, I won't have agita. I, I haven't liked the ESPN booth since Joe Morgan did it with, uh, what's his name? The guy, John, uh, John Miller. John Miller, exactly. I haven't liked it since then. It hasn't been good, and I don't know what it is they're going to do. And and there was a great article in the Tribune that you cited, where you know it was from Phil Rosenthal, who I love. Oh, I hope he doesn't take the buyout. But uh, but you know he reports on media and things like that. And and I think it was uh, Matt Viscurgian mentioned yeah. Bartman Land when a ball was fouled off towards right. the area where Steve Martin or uh, Steve Bartman had interfered with the foul ball or whatever. Right. And, uh, you know, in the playoffs that, that, that had sort of doomed the Cubs. And he just said, dude, it is a day. We are so over that here. And right. when the, you mention that on a national broadcast, it just completely shows how out of depth you are. You know, well, it, not just that, but enough is enough. It reaches a certain point where, you know, you just don't, I don't want to hear about that anymore. It's just that it, it's, it's negative. Um, you know, you, uh, I don't like this team either. This, this broadcast team, I think they're, they're I think they're bad. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, A-Rod is, I don't understand why A-Rod's in any booth. I, I you know, I, nice I, enough guy. He comes across as a happy ass and I just, I, I just don't get, I don't get the allure of those two. And then who's the other guy? Is, is Matt Cesarian or Matt, Matt, Matt Vescurgian? That's it. Yes. Matt Vesek, whatever this guy's name is, it's just, I don't, I don't know who I feel worse for us as, as Cubs fans or Steve Bartman himself. It, it's, it's like, this is ridiculous. It reminds me a little bit of the great late, great Bill Hicks who used to say, you know, 
do you think if Jesus really did come back from the dead that he wants to see those crucifixes everywhere? You know, a, a, enough is enough. I mean, <laughs> you know, what, what, what they did mention the, the how Rodriguez during the broadcast was talking about how, you know, the foreign substances issue and how he wants to sort of have a level playing field. I, I, I can't believe the irony of a man who took steroids for Correct. A, again, a, again, a large it, part of his career who was cheating the fuck out of it. Yeah, exactly. I again, mean, talk about a know, talk about a killer helping with the homicide investigation. A hey, Rod, <laughs> you know, you don't want, you know, yeah, you don't want anybody to cheat as long as it's, you know, as long as it's just pitchers. Yeah. I just thought that was really, really bad. It was a bad, bad look. And they need to think about, you know, how these sort of drop-in broadcasts that they do are are affecting the fan bases of the teams that they're covering. Agreed. Agreed. So, so but it was a good, it was a weird week for the Cubs. You how, know, they, how are the Cubs doing? Well, they dropped three or four to the Mets and they lost the first two to the Marlins. The Marlins have just killed. But the thing is, both of those games against the Marlins were really close. <sighs> Combined God. score of 23 to 3 for Miami. Brutal. Both and, games. And we haven't seen the Cubs get knocked around like this. Now, I don't know. Well, that's just the beget first month of the season where yeah. they kind of showed what I think. And I don't think they're reverting to the mean. I think that they are playing well, but um, ultimately, because they're beating the big teams, that's the that's how I gauge it. I mean, they've manhandled the Padres, and then they lose to Miami. That's not a title team. I, that's not how that works. But but still, they're playing better than what I what the expectations. They just hit a rough patch. Uh, Sox have kind of hit a rough patch too. But the Cubs have really um, the the Cub the Cubs. Here's the problem. They shouldn't have traded you, Darvish. I'm going yeah. to say it again. If they that, had you, uh, Darvish, they would be – we'd be like, they're going to win this division. Yes, yes, correct. Yeah. And now it's kind of like, you know, you, as you've pointed out, many teams in, in that division could win the division. Even the Reds could still win it. So, I, you know, it, hey, weird things have happened. I mean, the, the Cardinals – the Cardinals are underperforming. Milwaukee just lost what four or five in a row too. It's like this. Our division is terrible. I don't know it's what to not say. terrible though. It's 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 actually apart from Pittsburgh is actually a pretty good division. Okay, so the run, the run differential is in the red for every team except the Cubs. So that's not no. true. Every team except the Cubs. But 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 there are teams that there are four teams that are five hundred or better. Correct, just barely. But that's what I'm saying. Like like it's just. It's kind of like the National League East. It's the same thing in the National League East. You have just eh, Met, Met teams. The, Met, the Mets are good, but they're, they've got weaknesses. The Cubs are good. They have weaknesses. You start looking at the West, that's a different story now. San Francisco is the best team in baseball right as we speak right now, and uh, the Dodgers and Padres are right on their heels. That's uh, the Soviet Union, the People's Republic of China, and exactly. the United States all in the same division Exactly. in the 1950s. Yeah. yeah. And, and the Mets are Cuba. The Mets are <laughs> But the Cubs, the way I look at it is the Cubs are playing with house money. They're not – I didn't yes. expect them to be this good. So they're good. They've been, you know, I think within a game of first place every day for the last three, four weeks. No doubt. No, it's been, it's all been, those things are true. And, and so as far as I'm concerned, I'm just going to enjoy watching what happens because I didn't expect what's happening to happen. You know, that that's part of it. And, and you know, the, there's been these burning uh, 
questions and columns in newspapers in Chicago for the last week, which is, do the Cubs buy or sell? What do they do? And then there was a kind of a somber article that came out late last night, and basically it said, the Cubs have to sell. This, is a, right. this is a mirage, and, and for the health and the, the best interest of the Cubs, they have to sell. Now, if they hadn't have sold you Darvish, that might be a different story, but they did sell you Darvish. You can't kind of put your foot in and then take it out like that. I think it's potentially injurious to the Cubs and their future, um, despite of how well they're playing right now. And the question you have to ask yourself is, could whatever the Cubs buy win them a World Series? And I'm not, not, I'm not convinced that, that it could happen this year, correct? Not this year. I mean, I, I would try to – look. I would try to go out and get a starter, but I wouldn't overpay. Right. Try to get somebody that you identify as yep. somebody who could help you. Okay. You know, somebody who could help you. And, and I, you know, you can't go for Max Scherzer. That's, that's impossible. For a couple of reasons. Yeah. If you're going to make a play like that, get a 28 year old pitcher, not a 38 year old pitcher. That's, that's not going to help the future at all. The reason why I think they should keep the team intact for this year, and I'm talking about Kimbrell, Contreras, Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, Hap, all those guys, because they could win it. They could make a deep playoff run this year and have a great season. And some of these guys may want to resign because they enjoy playing here. I know that. I know that's been your pitch. And I think that's a, that's a legitimate pitch. It's not just that they enjoy playing here. It's profitable for them to play here. They make money off the field that they're not going to make in some other market. You go to Kansas city, you're not going to make that, that kind of that money. That translates into money that you're going to make long correct, correct. beyond your career end. And, and if I was the agent of a player, I would make, take that into consideration as far as how I advise them to sign or to not sign. I just yeah. think that, I think you're right. I think the Cubs um, could very well hold on to that core group of players, but they also could could move. If the right thing came up, you just don't know what's going to happen. I I just don't think this is their year, so I would sell. I mean, but that's Well, just me. you know, that's the thing. I mean, does a baseball season have value if you're good but don't win the World Series? Right. And I say yes. Well, if that's obvious. We've gotten to this point without you, Darvish. Just imagine if we had him on our team. Yes. No, in fact, when we were yeah. traded, I was like, so the Cubs are throwing in the towel. But now, they now competed. Back, but now that they're back to 100%, okay, yeah. they now are a big market team. They have the deep pockets. They'll be fine as far as their future because they'll always be able to, you know, they'll use the free agency to bolster their team. They're always yeah. going to be able to do that, so – I'm not worried about that. So, so did you see the Tuesday night game against the Mets? Oh, that was the best game I'd seen in quite some time. I was at the pool hall, at nice. the pool hall, nice. and I did the table right by the big screen TV. And I got to watch that whole game while I'm just doing drills and stuff. You know, So it's like, you know how you like hit golf balls? Yeah. You know, I just put 15 balls on the table and practice one type of shot, one after the other, one nice. after the other. Nice. And I've got the game in front of me. And, man – that was a fantastic game. And I, I, I cited this game because this is why Anthony Rizzo is the best first baseman I've ever seen. And there were a few plays where he just totally changed what was going on. Did you see you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I did. And, and, and I, he's a fine first baseman, make no mistake about it. I, I think he's, you could even say he's a great defensive first baseman, but is he the best of all time? No. 
Uh, no, he's not. But he, he's in the discussion. I actually looked it up, and which, by the way, remember, I've always contended that Keith Hernandez is has been the best defensive player. He doesn't even come into the top 20. In this particular list, they've got Rizzo like 18th with the best first baseman was, and there's guys better than him like J.T. Snow, um, Darren Erstad, with better stats, I should say, uh, Wes Parker going way back. Um, Mitch Moreland gets a higher rate, Don Mattingly. Talk about defense. Okay? Yeah. Talk about defense. That's what we're talking about. Defense of yeah. Justin Morneau. I'm but, trying to just see, get this scroll here. It'll take a few minutes. But the point is, is that he's in the discussion, but he's not the best first defense I, baseman. I'm just talking about specific plays and things that I see that I've never seen yeah. first yeah. baseman do before. Yes. You know, he's just charging in when Seth Lugo bat uh, had to come to, to bat yeah, yeah. in the eighth inning. And there was a runner on and he had to bunt. Correct. Rizzo's just charging in. I know, I know. That was a great play too. And and then he almost makes this play where, where Lugo pops the bunt up and yeah. Rizzo looks like he's going to catch it, but he allows it to bounce in an attempt to get the double play. Right, correct. Alcantara right. dropped the ball at first base on the relay. They almost turned it. That was amazing. It that was. was freaking amazing and there was another play like that that earlier in the year where there's a runner at first and he fields a ball on the ground right at the bag he does it intentionally he intends not to step on first base to try to complete the double play but Baez thought he had stepped on the bag and tagged it and didn't return with the throw because it would have stopped the run from scoring and that's what he was trying to do. So he's playing at a level. He's got his head in a place where I've never seen intellectually first okay. basemen go. So this article proposes that the greatest first baseman of all time is Casey Kochman, who played for um, Seattle, many teams actually, but he has a career fielding percentage of nine, nine, seven, five. Well, 10, 10 plus seasons in the majors. But okay. I, I agree with you. I, I, I wasn't trying to do that to side uh, your thing on, on Rizzo. He, where would we be without some of those plays? Because the Cubs defense is definitely one of their strong suits this year. Um, you know, is, I, I got, I got to give Ross some credit. Um, this is a fundamentally sound baseball team yeah. and that's why they're, 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 that's you know, dueling for the, for the central league division. Bias has 38 defensive runs saved. That's amazing. That's, that's amazing. In the low twenties. That's amazing. He's freaking, uh, he's an artist. He, he, the Cubs are great. It's not just because of him, but what about Kyle Hendricks? Is Kyle Hendricks going to make the all-star team? Yeah, he should. He's got his ninth win. And remember how terrible wow. he was? Wow. Nine wins before the All-Star game? That's big news, buddy. Let me that tell you. Is big news. I mean, if he wins 20 this year, I'll be, you know, right. that guy, they have him. He's going to be a fixture in the Cubs organization. For What's the his contract year. status, by the way? Do we he, have him? He's locked up. Okay. He's good. Because we need that one. <laughs> but, but he's going to be, he's going to be Professor Emeritus. Of yes. The, <laughs> You know, he's going to be, he go, he's the professor. You have the adjunct professor in Alan Mills. Yeah, Alan, that's correct. The, the community to, college professor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But then, but then, but then uh, Hendricks is going to be emeritus because he's going to be in that organization, advising, writing yeah. papers, doing research, training, coaching. He's going to be there for 30, 40 years. it's good to have him on the team but when do we get mike duffy and nico horner back yeah and and i think that that part of the problem that the cubs are having right now is they don't have these guys in the lineup 
who have more of that contact approach that allows for guys like Baez, you know, who are the gamblers, you know, the gunslingers, the swingers, you know what I mean? The big swingers that, that allow you to have a guy like Baez in the lineup. Well, in the case of Horner, they miss his defense. Well, having him at second base, it's almost like having a, a Rizzo at second base. Like Rizzo and Horner on that side of the, the field is pretty formidable. They're excellent. They're excellent. No, that's right. And Duffy, you know, I mean, what are you going to do with Duffy when he comes back? I mean, do you bench Wisdom, who's kind of cooled off? Yeah you know, a little bit, but uh, I predicted last week that, that Mercedes and, uh, and Duffy or not Duffy, but uh, wisdom would win the rookie of the year. Right. But uh, so let's move on to the white Sox, and yes. we're moving on and we're moving right along. And the Sox uh, played the, the Tampa Bay Rays who at the time were the best team in baseball That's the right. Sox were just beneath them. The Sox take two of three in dramatic fashion. Impressive too. And, and they were for 24 hours. Right the best team in baseball. They had the best record in baseball. The White Sox did. They're still in the top five and they still lead their division and all those things, but they, they, they like the Cubs hit a little bit of a rough spot there uh, midweek Houston. And uh, you know, now you know why Houston is so formidable because they hit the baseball very well. They pitch. Okay. Um, And they're not as good as the Sox, by the way, despite what you saw, I think the Sox are a better team than Houston, but Houston is going to be in a formidable. And the reason is, is, as a Dusty Baker well knows, in a short series, this team could 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 beat any team. They're explosive, and you know there's this especially at at that park. And, and so to see the Sox, to see Dusty Baker and Tony Larusa, you know these two old warriors who have yeah. uh, been pitted against each other many times. I don't think there's love lost between these two guys based on what I've seen, at least on the field. I think off the field's a different story. Um, but on the field, I think that there's been this history between these two. Um, well, the marquee network was playing like top 10 Cubs Cardinal moments. And there was one, there was one series where those two were barking at each other big time. You, you mean Sox, you mean Sox Cardinals? No. Oh, oh, you mean when, Oh, oh I, I see. When, but bang, gotcha, 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 yeah. gotcha. So when the two managed against one another, right? And there, was a, there was a famous incident where they were just barking at each other from the two dugouts. You know, uh, we didn't see anything like that, or, or at least we haven't seen anything like that so far. But uh, for this series, but the Cubs, but the, I'm sorry, but the Sox have dropped three, the, the first three of a four game series. You know, they need to come back and win tomorrow. They didn't win the Rodon game. Right. And Rodon, you know, this guy, what? You know, foreign substances aside, he continues to get it done. But that's because he's got a baseball philosophy coach. I've told you, I'm I'm, I'm being facetious, but it's partially true. In the last, I'd say, 18 months, he's looked at pitching from a whole new perspective, and that's completely changed him as a pitcher. And part of it is that... You know, he's got, he's got a physiology coach. He's got, he's got all of these guys that are helping him with his diet, with his, his yeah. body, but also his mind. And I think, you know, on any given night, he can throw a no hitter. I saw him, I think it was last night or the day before. I'm like, whoa, bro, he's about to do it again. And then, then he got, he hit a rough patch in the game, but, but still he's, he's a, the Sox have an embarrassment of Richards based on the, the injuries that they've had. This well, year. think about this in, in that in spring training, this is a guy who was competing with Reynaldo Lopez <laughs> for the fifth starting for the fifth starting rotation, fifth spot, fifth spot in the rotation. Now he could start the all-star game for the American league. 
Well, that's because of uh, what's his name of uh, Cleveland is out. Um, yeah. Who's the, who's not? Uh, I keep wanting to call him Bauer, um, but uh, uh, the 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 teen idol. What's his name? Yeah, Bieber. Thank you, Justin Bieber. Yeah. Um, Justin. So you're right. He could start the all-star game. And, and you know, we both kind of dismissed the, the uh, Cleveland ball club. Haven't, they haven't named themselves yet. The, the Cleveland team. Um, but it looks like that's going to be the thorn in the Sox's side this year. Um, They're going to be around all year. They're going to be around all year long because they have the pitching that, that will allow them to com- be competitive in every series they play. And, uh, you know, the Sox still haven't gotten some of their primary players back. And, and, so far, that hasn't been a problem, right. but I don't think that that will continue to be the case. And, uh, you know, I don't know when Robert is going to come back. I don't know when Jimenez is going to come back. Right. I'm dubious that Jimenez's return will be a successful one. You know, I, I hope it's the case, but I think that he's going to, I think he's going to struggle when he comes back. I think the team won't be maybe as good in some ways, especially defensively. If they're going to ask him to play left, that's not a good look. Hey, as critical as we've been of the 2,000-year-old man, I yeah. mean, Tony Larusa, we have to start giving him some credit for putting together kind of a rag muffin of a team that's, oh, by the way, one of the best teams in baseball. And, and because they have firepower, they've gotten pitching in places they weren't expecting it, as we just talked about. And also – Giolito has still not pitched lights out for three or four starts in a row. And when he does, I think you're going to start seeing magic numbers pop up for the Sox. I think they're going to run away with that division. That's what I well, think. I, I, I don't know. I, I still think, I, I mean, certainly the pitching is their strong suit and that's why they're able to get it done. And, and, and I have to give LaRusa some credit and you know, I've never liked this guy. Okay. This, this goes back years, my disassociation with this man because he's always managed teams against clubs that I want to win. You right. know, the, he managed the Cardinals. He managed the, the A's. I liked the White Sox. I liked the, the, the Cubs. So, so I've been a little unfair in that regard. And I accept that. And I admit that, right. yeah, yeah. but, uh, but, but I also like, I will say too, that he empowers his players. When, when he speaks in press conferences, he talks about how hard they work and how much, how great ball players they are. You know, and and he really leaves it to them. The things he says about Abreu, I don't know that you know he and and I'm sure he speaks to Abreu in Spanish because he does do that. Right, correct. You know, about what a warrior and what an example, you know, the, that Abreu is, and and the dignity and pride with which he plays. Yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe there is something to this. The, the, there is, and. But there's also something that we've seen in the past with great teams that if they don't like their manager, they win in spite of the manager. So, so we don't know. We we won't know until books are written on this in the future. Probably, you know, long after Larusa is no longer the manager of the team, maybe it will come out. But it's working right now, and there's no discussion about Larusa not finishing the job. He's he's gonna you know he's gonna guide them all the way through to October. We'll see what happens. But But, uh, but does if you've seen him do press conferences he looks exhausted uh, that's what my, my wife actually made a comment she's like you know and i said hey it depends on the time of the day if at day games he's good after the day games but you see him at night after he's you know you know he's had the seniors uh, uh discount meal there in the middle of the day it kind of gets makes him tired want to lay down next thing you know he's got the ball game 
you know, they have to wake him up for the 10 or 11 o'clock at night. That's too late for a man his age. I'm sorry. It's too late for me. <laughs> well, all right. So that, that about does it for the bag of uh, peanuts. I found Lucy. What you saw was a buck wearing Lucy's dress. I found Lucy back in the canyon. What was she? What do you want me to do? Draw your picture? Spell it out? Don't ever ask me. Open up the popcorn bag, and uh, we're going to talk about a movie that you suggested we see this week, and that is The Searchers. It is directed by John Ford, I think 1956. And I got to tell you, Tom, uh, I have never seen this movie before. It is a Western in every sense of the word. And I got to tell you, I was blown away again. So why don't you tell our listener what the movie's about before we go on to these. It begins with a man riding out to a lonely house in Texas. It's filmed in Monument Valley. Where Ford filmed a lot. Out there on the Texas prairie. A man, a lone man rides up on the ho- on his horse and it's Uncle Ethan returning from the war, from the Civil War. And the family comes out to greet him, his brother and his brother's wife, who Ethan, we intimate, maybe had been in love with at one point. And then his brother has a, a son and two daughters, a young girl, a kind of girl who's kind of in her, you know, 19, and then a son who's a little older or maybe a middle son. And so he comes home. And everybody's so happy to see him. And he looks exhausted from the war. It was the Civil War. But then you sort of notice that that's not a blue uniform that no. John Wayne is wearing. No. He is wearing a Confederate. He, is a conf- he was a Confederate sergeant. And unabashed. And he, as he says, he never surrendered. He said, and, and he admits he never surrendered. So that immediately puts you as the viewer like, whoa, is this a guy that I'm going to be liking? Am I going to be liking this character? So what ends up happening is these Comanche Indians attack some cattle and that draws out the men who live in the town. They go out looking for these Comanches and what the Comanches do is while the men are away, they attack that lonely farmhouse and they kill, they kill Ethan's brother. They kill his wife, they kill his son and they take the 19 year old girl and they take the, I guess, eight year old girl away with them. And burn their house to the ground. And they burn their house to the ground. And Wayne comes back, Ethan comes back, and he sees his family murdered in this horrible, slaughtered in this horrible way. And he vows that he's going to make these Comancheros pay. So he basically is part of a group that goes out looking for these Comancheros. And he's a man. He's already a racist against Indians to start with. This just fueled his fire. And and, And there's time and time, there's opportunities where he demonstrates just how racist he is right you know because the guy david paulie who's one of the men who goes with him a young man who's one eighth indian and 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 wayne sees that and he rides him about it the whole movie you know and and so the whole movie is basically a search for these two women you know through the wilderness of the western united states right and i gotta tell you if you've never seen this, you got to see it. It is one of the most complex films I've ever seen from that era. Yeah. You know, I never thought you, when we think about movies that are classics, there's a, there's a simplicity to them. Not here. Yeah. Not here. I, you know, it, it, I picked this film and it's, um, 
it's interesting because I'm a kind of an urbane guy um, in most respects when it comes to my film preferences, but I have a special spot for Westerns. And so there's two Westerns that, that always come to my mind immediately, no matter what. Uh, the first one is The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, which I just think is just, it's an operatic uh, story and just- uh, Japanese. Yes. Yeah. Construction and and then there's the searchers and that's my my all time favorite western and it spawns so much. If you ask Martin Scorsese, you ask uh, Peter Bogdanovich, if if you talk to um, a lot of directors, they will tell you even um, Star Wars is based partly on this story, which is you know you have a complicated guy going out to try to rescue somebody. And there's morality everywhere as far as doing the right thing or not doing the right thing. And it just, at the time when this film was made, there was unabashed hatred of Indians in the United States. Well, and, yeah, and, America and it was done, and, and John Ford did nothing to correct them, even though this is, you know, I don't want, for the people that haven't seen this film, I'm not going to give away what happens at the end, but, you know, Ford raises all kinds of questions about that. and Question. But but not but also beautiful answers in the sense of how the human condition eventually kind of steers itself towards the right to doing the right thing. Well, today we're all woke. We can look at this film, you know, as Ebert says, in a completely different prism. It's it's a it's a completely um, more enlightened view of this film. Ford made I don't know twelve or thirteen of of, of westerns. Um, John Wayne loved this movie so much he named his son Ethan after his character. Wow. This was his. I think is one or two of his favorite films. Um, but you're right about the monument um, uh, park Valley. thing, yeah. Monument Valley or whatever that Ford used so many times in his films. That's um, David Lean watched this movie on loop before he made, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Lawrence of Arabia, because he wanted to capture um, landscape shots. And he thought that Ford, did a phenomenal job. And I would have to second that. The first time you saw the silhouettes of the Comanches up on that berm or whatever that-, that Yeah, up on the ridge. They're yeah, on and, the ridge. And all you saw was their shadows against the light behind them. I thought that was a phenomenal, phenomenal shot. Uh, no, they're, they're tremendous. Visually, this movie is amazing. Yep. You know, but then also let's not forget some of the performances turned in by these actors, by, by, by some of the supporting cast. And I'll mention, I'll begin with uh, Vera Miles. Yes. You know, as Lori Jorgensen, who's the sort of girlfriend of- The, of, the Norwegian girl. Or Swedish, Swedish or Norwegian. Sweet, yeah. but, but, but boy, was she sexy. Yeah. And she's sort of an aggressive, sort of hot-headed, but beautiful woman who totally is court. You know, Jeffrey Hunt, Martin Polly doesn't court her. Yeah. She courts him, man. Yeah. She, she brings him right in. She says, I'm going to marry that guy. And that's what she gets. So, you know? so, so Ward Bond, who um, uh, was one of John Wayne's best friends and was in many of his films, he played the religious guy with yeah. the badge. Um, yeah. He was so taken with Vera Miles that while they were filming this, he used to walk around in his motel room with the, with the light shade drawn naked trying to entice her. And she was, she was, you know, obviously 30 years younger than him. What wouldn't take the bait, so to speak, but everybody was pretty enamored with uh, Vera Miles. Let's well, that, that scene, that scene that he, that she does with Martin, 
you know, when yeah. they're in the bathroom, when, when he's in the bathtub. Right, right. Comes in. That that scene is brilliant. Yeah. That scene is brilliant. You got to see that. You, the movie is worth it just for that scene alone. Well, that and the, the couple, he loved, Ford loved those doorway shots where you would yeah. see the doorway. And at the end, that's that iconic shot of John Wayne with his arm, his hand uh, over his opposite arm, just kind of staring in at the family at the very last shot. Well, that's the shot at the very beginning. Well, if you remember that bathroom shot, that was also shot through the prism of kind of the doorway of the bathroom. And so Ford, for some reason, and I think correctly so, loved that camera angle because you see it constantly in his films. Um, Scorsese loves it like the overhead. You ever see the overhead shot in Scorsese? Yes. That's right. what he's known for. Well, Ford liked that, the light coming through a doorway angle and, and the illumination that it provides, not just for the, the image, but for the character itself. And uh, it, it's visually, this film is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, it's just, I just found well, it, some some of the characters, you know, like for example, the leader of the of the of the Comanche is a German Jewish guy, and and so Henry Brandon, right? Star, yeah. So German Jew, wow. And, and Ford and him had a, he actually said to why would you hire a blue eyed guy? And and Ford's basically that's the exact reason why I hired you. You know that 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 was his response. So. Yeah, well, he. I he love this film. Good. I'm glad you loved it too. It's 98th on my list, and uh, it's my favorite western. You know, um, I also want to mention the performance of Olive Carey as Mrs. Jorgensen, who could have gotten a Best Actress nominee when she talks about, oh, how this country is a good country, and maybe it'll take our bones to be in the ground for a long time before it becomes a good country. Yeah. Before it becomes a that was such a great line. And then also- And also, it rever that reverberates today, to this yeah, day, I think. Absolutely. And then um, Hank Warden, who plays Mose Harper. Oh, yeah. Who's guy who's kind, kind of- a Kind of a ca cartoon character of a character. Yeah. But, but, but he's sort of the mascot. He's sort of mentally ill. You know what I mean? There's something wrong with him. But, but he's kind of a mascot and he helps in different ways. And He just know, wants a rocking chair, Leo. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. I got my rocking chair. You know, <laughs> that was a really good movie you suggested. And I I've got another it. one oh. uh, that also speaks to the American condition. Um, and so before you announce the movie, maybe you can tell our listener what's going on with us in the next couple of weeks. We've oh, absolutely, Tom. Thank you. And before I forget, right, um, we will do a show next week and then we'll be off for two weeks. This is the annual all-star break since Major League Baseball takes the two weeks or takes a week. We're going to take two weeks off. Tom, I think you're going to go to Michigan, are I you? I am. I am. All right. We've got 4th of July and all sorts of stuff. So we're going to take time with our families. And also, Tom we, and I really we, hate the all-star game. So yeah. we return on uh, the 18th of July. 18th of July. Absolutely. And uh, so, but we'll... We'll drop a show next week. And next week, we're going to be talking about um, a movie that I think also, like, like The Searcher, speaks to the American condition, but only in a different way. It's the only movie that I can think of that uh, was actually better than the movie it was based on. Uh, this is a sequel, and I'm talking about Godfather 2. Wow, that's interesting selection. We haven't even done Godfather 1. but That's that, right, but I wanted to fine. do Godfather 2 before we did Godfather 1, because in many ways... I feel it is the superior film, but we'll get back to that next week. And for now, we are the two peas in a podcast. Oh, bang the drum slowly and play the fight low. Play the dead march 
as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffin. Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall. Thank you.